What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience. The podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. We want to introduce our very special guest, Savan Matosian. Savan is a longtime employee of CrossFit. He's best known for creating media. Some call him the king of content. Savan is a podcast host. He's a filmer. He's a producer. He's a movie maker. He's a father. He's a CrossFitter. I think he's a spiritual guru. I love the things that he says and how he speaks and how he communicates. Angie and I had an amazing time talking with Savon. Anyways, we really hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Savon has so much to offer. He's an amazing human being. He's an amazing father. And he's just an amazing guy to talk to. And we, we loved having him around. So we're going to get right into it. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. Savon. I'm excited to have you on the show. Ever since uh, you agreed, I've been thinking about the millions of things that I want to talk to you about and ask you about because you are one fascinating guy and you have so much depth and uh, lived so many lives. You have a lot you can share with us. Thank you. It, it's, um, it's hard to see when it's your own life, um, <laughs> but definitely as I get older and I reflect more and more, um, I feel like it's important that I'm using my voice these days that I contextualize where I'm coming from, not to uh, brag, but so that people um, see that I'm, I, I'm, I've seen a lot of things and I've experienced a lot of things. And so that maybe, maybe my voice is worth listening to. Maybe my perspective is worth listening to. It's, it's, it's a fine juggling act to talk about yourself um, for the need of giving, I guess yourself street cred, but then also not not bragging or trying to convince people that I'm right just based on my experience. So yeah, thank you for that. I've only recently come to sort of like in the last month or two start to come to terms with that. I love that, and and for me, uh, that's exactly what happened with me last year. You know, I never talked about my addiction or whatever. I ran a drug rehab, but. This was a whole new field, social media, Instagram, a whole new field of stepping into. So I think we're very similar in that field of learning to embrace that uh, going forward and utilizing that platform. Right. Which is one of the things that you and I bonded on um, immediately. And uh, luckily, I had spoken with your wife as a CrossFit affiliate. And um, she referred me to you because you being the big CrossFit guy, um, our story was something that you like telling is how CrossFit was used, how CrossFit is used in different ways than just getting uh, fit. And so that's where we kind of bonded and had had some good talks and you actually came up. Yeah, one one of the most remarkable affiliates I've ever visited was truly your affiliate. Um, I also had the opportunity to visit some affiliates. Um, I think it's called the Phoenix program runs. Yeah. Basically, if you're sober for 24 hours, um, you can use their gym for free. And I think that you um, have a have a s- similar model for your clientele. Um, they get there and then you have CrossFit available to them. There really is, there's this Taoist saying, stop thinking and all your problems will go away. And no matter what your problem is, whether you, you are um, 
just lost a parent, whether you're in extreme pain, no matter what your problem is, if you do 100 burpees as fast as you can and you put yourself in oxygen deprivation, you will forget about all of your problems and you will worry about just getting enough air. And it's a um, cheap, healthy, liberating, quick fix that everyone has the ability to do. Oxygen deprivation, self-inflicted oxygen deprivation through intense exercise. And, um, you know, you, you, will, you know this better than me, but obviously a lot of addicts will, um, or recovered addicts will turn to, to physical activity. You see that in the endurance community, right? <clears throat> A ton, you know, you were um, addicted to meth for 10 years and now you're focused on running 100 milers. And, and it, it's, mm -hmm. a, um, I'm not necessarily saying it's good to go that extreme, but, but anything is better than being addicted to meth, anything, you know, so. Well, it's that so same it's addictive amazing. behavior that draws, I think, right. addicts to CrossFit right. is because they have that drive and, and that's what it takes. Right. And you, and you get a, you get a, as long as you don't hurt yourself which is, um, which also is self-inflicted, but as long as you don't hurt yourself, yeah, you, it's a, uh, and you're consistent, you will slowly work all the demons out. And, um, it's, it's almost like cheating. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's hard work, but it is almost like cheating, cheating yourself out, like, like recovering without having to, um, oh, what's the word? I mean, you have to put in the work. It's a, I guess it's sort of, it's a bit of a hack, you know? It's, it's, Life a, it's hack, a great, yeah. yeah, it's a great, um, it's an amazing tool. There's really, there's very few better tools than, um, messing with your diet and getting your body moving. And I, and, and I, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, it really is, uh, profound and it will help. It will help you on so many fronts. As you guys know, it won't just give you a distraction from your addiction, but your whole being will get healthier. Your self-confidence will grow. Um, you'll be a great role model for the people around you. I mean, it's, um, at the end of the day, when we die, our only value to people on this planet is what we contributed to other people. That's it. And I saw this great line the other day. Um, it said, instead of worrying about leaving the planet a better place for the next generation, how about leaving a better generation for the next planet? And being that I have three kids and I enjoy watching people move and get healthy, um, I, that really resonated with me. Yeah, I like that. That's a different way to look at it. It's kind of... Uh... That's that's empowering in its own sense, you know. Yeah, and I think it's funny too talking about like the CrossFit and the diet and the health and it being kind of like a life hack. The funny part to me is is people are always looking for life hacks or the shortcut or the easy way out. And oftentimes, in my experience of presenting CrossFit, there's a lot of pushback or there's a lot of resistance, which is strange because we're all just looking for you know a little shortcut or a little tip or just a little bit more happiness or a little bit more fitness. And for some reason, when it's presented, sometimes people are like pushed away from it. And I just kind of find it ironic that we're trying to give, we're trying to give the answer, but people don't like to listen sometimes. <laughs> or they don't want to do the work or they lack that discipline. I'll, I'll tell you this fantastic, simple lesson my wife taught me. Someone would say to me, Angie would say to me, hey, can you do a podcast at, can you do a podcast? And I might write back to Angie and be like, oh, I can't. My kids have skateboarding. And my wife would be like, why did you tell her that? And I would be like, because I don't want to do the podcast. She goes, she would say, you're avoiding discomfort. Yep. 
And I go, what do you mean? I'm avoiding discomfort. No, I just don't, I don't want to hurt her feelings. I don't like, I don't want to tell her. No, I got it made. A, oh, you don't want to hurt her feelings. Is that really what you're doing? Are you sure that's what you're doing? Are you sure? Why wouldn't you just tell her? No, thank you. Why wouldn't you just be honest with her? And she, my wife for, for a couple of years rode me like that. Very, very uh, not, it, you know, and that's a delicate thing to do with someone like me. Like I have a, I, I'm like a dragon. I'll rear my head and blow fire. Right. But, um, but she, those, even those things have to be worked out. You have to stop like, and, and then she started gave me this paradigm. Like, look at the whole world as avoiding discomfort. Everything like you cheat. Do you know why you cheat on a test? Not because you're a cheater, but you want to avoid the discomfort of getting a bad grade. Yeah. Do you know why you robbed that bank? Because you want to avoid the discomfort of not being able to have alimony to pay your wife. You want to avoid the discomfort of your parents not being proud of you because you have money. So she gave me this paradigm to look at the world. And um, even the, I'm t tying this back to seeing the truth. If you don't even work on all those little things and all those little tricks, you will, the, the truth will start to get blurred again. Like, Really, the hard about, hardest part about the truth is keeping your eye on it. And so these are some of the obstacles that come in the way. Is full circle going back to the beginning of the show. These are some of the obstacles that come in the way as you start a meditation practice is you have to let go of some of these ideas. And letting go of these ideas are like little deaths. And we all know that we're fucking terrified of dying because Earth's so cool. But... Um, <laughs> But it, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty crazy it's a pretty crazy journey to embark on. It's super duper liberating. It's free, but there are some some fantastic riddles along the way. And and it's really uh, to to use my wife's words, it's about avoiding avoiding discomfort and 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 being honest and trying to really just keep your eye keep keeping your eye on the truth. It's like being trapped in a room with a cobra. If you take your eye off it for a second. No bueno. It's no bueno. Yeah. No you're bueno. getting messed up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you get messed up. Yeah. You have to always, you know, you hear people say, I pray, I pray 24 hours a day. I mean, the ultimate state is to be meditating 24 hours a day. And, and we all have that potential. We can all do that. Well, I'm shooting for it. <laughs> yeah, hard, yeah, yeah. Why not? I mean, I'm, I'm probably at like two hours, three right. max. Yeah. yeah. We can all, win. And by that, by meditate, I just mean you just have to be, you have to have an awareness. You just have to have, you have to be cult, constantly cultivating awareness. I'm not talking about sitting home. I'm talking about when you're doing your burpees that you're like, okay, these are burpees happening. And oh, I'm really, aware of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the hack, right? <laughs> you don't miss those. Yeah, you know when you're burpeeing. Oh, yeah. You know where you are. You are here. <laughs> yeah. In fact, Dallas says use them for uh, two clients that were having a disagreement. He made them do a burpee off, and it was like perfect. It was the it was the perfect like get in the ring, and and it was decided, and it was over. It was amazing. I, Ends I all it. thought. Yeah, I love it. You know, you're you know, you, we've all been in a room, and a and a bird flies in. Yeah, and in that moment, everyone is meditating. Yes, everyone comes out of their shell to see the bird. Yeah, we're all here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. There's a bird in the room. I love how ironic it is that you started that podcast with Josh and Matt just to do it. And then it's like this massive thing. 
this is a huge thing. People are like, what is this thing? And you're like, I don't know, but it's here. <laughs> um, I, I just know I, Matt Fraser is the five-time fittest man in the world. Um, it's, you really, and, and you really can't, it's a feat that's so unbelievable, the amount of training that went into it. I mean, I, I don't want to put down any Olympians or prof other professional athletes, but he really, in my opinion, he has no peer outside of like maybe some of the UFC guys. I mean, he really, um, and the UFC guys, their payday is so tough because they have to get in a ring and try to kill a guy. But outside of that, really, Matt has no peer. And I didn't know him very well. I just would run into him at the games and we'd exchange phone numbers and Josh, I was, I'm in love with Josh. Um, Josh Bridges is like, he's a badass. Oh my God. He's such a wonderful man. And so, um, and, and I would text Josh a little bit. Maybe if I was texting Matt once every two months, I text Josh once a month, you know, and all small talk, like, Hey, thanks for the coffee or congratulations, Matt on your win or cool mm -hmm. new truck or whatever I see on Instagram. And then one day Josh and I was late at night and we were te or Matt and I was late at night and we were texting back and forth for like 30 minutes. And of course, like I'm, I'm trying to act cool, but I'm so excited at the five time <laughs> having a 30 minute text conversation with Matt I go, Frazier. <laughs> I go, Hey dude, do you want to uh, just do a 10 to 30 minute or no 10 to 60 minute phone call every week? And we just record it and publish it. And then he goes blank and then no, no response after a back and forth. I'm like, Oh, like, I go jump in the shower and Haley's in the room. I'm like, Oh, I've went too far. I pushed it <laughs> and I get out of the shower and there's this sure. I'm like, Holy shit. So then I'm like, okay, I'm going to really push my luck. What do you think about having Josh Bridges on the call? And he goes, yeah, whatever you want. Easy. So then Done. I text Josh. I'm like, you want to be on to do a phone call with Matt once a week? He's like, uh-huh. And that's it. <laughs> so like that was it. here we go i was gonna say too what else is like what else are you working on? i know there's some other things going on in the you know in the background and if the audience wanted to find more of you where could they do that what are you working on all that jazz because people so, are going to want more of you and i so, and i found it fascinating that the god the god not gods circled around and and put two of your loves together which is your kids in crossfit with sugar wad and so yes i yes. love that isn't it i was just so today i was just tripping i'm like the company that i'm gonna do my kids programming on is called sugar wad and you hate <laughs> sugar <laughs> like like how is how did they get that name but so anyway i'm uh there's a guy over there who works at sugar wad named phil for those of you who don't know what sugar wad is sugar wad is the largest i think programming platform in the world by programming it's a place where you can go and you can look up tons of different programs whether it's the fittest man in the world rich fronings program or now for the first time ever they're going to have a kids program on there and it's going to be the three plain brothers kids program and it's the program that i do with my kids and when i say it's the program i do with my kids that's a little bit adult programming people follow to a t Kids programming, at least the way I do it, I don't follow to a T. Basically, the goal with kids is, is three things, to be patient, to be consistent, and to reward them for every single attempt. And so what I put together is these 50 workouts that I filmed on video, and then I wrote 50 little write-ups for them for 50 daily programs. And they're basically just templates where you, you can show the video to your kids, and a lot of kids will be like, oh, I want to do that, I want to do that. And then you can watch the video, and you can see where I struggled with my kids or where we went in there to do box jumps, but we ended up doing pull-ups. Or And it's basically um, a not it's more of a template or an idea than a program, although you could use it as a program, to it's get flexible. kids moving. 
to get kids moving. Yeah. And, um, you know, in, in one respect, it's a little weird because I gave all this stuff away for free on Instagram, but now it's finally organized and it's on SugarWad. And I have to embrace the fact it's kind of weird. It's kind of like being fake. I have to, I don't want to, I don't want to sell it, but I do, I do need to make money. And I also know that it, the magic is not in the program. It's in the attention you give your kids. And so I can give you this program. Hi. <laughs> I can give you this program, but if you don't give your kids attention and reward them, the program will never work. Mm-hmm. And so it's a li- and I can't give you that. I can't sell you that. I can't sell you to give your kids attention. You have to bring that to it. You have to bring the patience, the attention, and the and uh, and the reward to your kid. And the reward being just even more attention, right? Oh my God! I can't believe you tried that. That was such a high jump. And so it's a, it's it's a weird. Um, it's a new it's a new kind of role for me that I I'm trying to get into without compromising myself. I can't tell if it's like. You know, people want to be like, you have imposter syndrome. You're an expert at this. Just do it. I, I, I don't, it's weird. It's weird, but I am super excited about it. I'm like really pumped. And it was one of the guys who was using my program on Patreon who works at SugarWad. Who's like, dude, you got to put this on SugarWad. So, and if it can help pay the bills a little bit. I think it's amazing. We have several, um, staff that work for us that have smaller kids and they, they cross, I mean, the adults CrossFit and they're super pumped about this because obviously as a parent, you want your kids to sort of take on CrossFit too. So you guys can share that. So I know there's a lot of people really excited about this. Yeah. I'm, I'm also doing this experiment with Avi where I have him skateboard every single day for a year and that is prop. Yeah. And so he's, um, he's six years old. Is he six and a half, Haley? Um. He's almost six and a half, and he's been skateboarding um, every single day for like 250 days, and I document it, and I basically want to show, and he's, and he's, I would have to guess he's probably one of the best, um, you know, under seven skateboarders in the world, at, just because we're consistent. And what does that look like? Some days he doesn't want to skateboard. So I'll just go into the garage and I'll be like, okay, sweetheart, just stand on your skateboard for five minutes. And we start a timer and we look at the clock together and two minutes in he's skating in the garage and it leads to 30 minutes. And it's been, and he's been, and now he knows he's built pride and an identity. And when he goes to the skate park, he's always the best kid his age there. And he, He he's built he he's building himself. He's 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 seen the the uh the repercussions of hard work. And um it's really cool. And um to tell you the dirty, dirty secret, every hundred days he skateboards, I take him to the beach and he gets to buy an ice cream cone for him and his brothers. Oh nice. uh, the real reward. There we go. Nice. And on the three hundred and sixty-fifth day. He gets to get an ice cream cake at Baskin Robbins and invite anyone he wants over to have a party. Hi. Well, hopefully so, Tony Hawk will be so, there. <laughs> <laughs> so those of you who are like, oh, my God, he's such a perfect parent. No, I manipulate my kids with sugar. Yeah. So. <laughs> but it, they got to do a lot to get to that sugar. Yes, I mean, 100, yes, 100 days yes. straight of doing the same thing over and over. Many yeah. and most adults can't do that. Yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Did he start uh, fresh, like never skateboarding at day zero? Or so was it like a little bit, like interest? At, 
at 10 months, um, we, he, he got on a skateboard on his knee and he would kick around and then gotcha. from, and then he did that for like about a month. And then from the, from that age to the five and a half, he had never been on a skateboard and one just sat in our entryway. He never got on it. And then finally one day he goes, Hey, I'm going to ride this every day. And I go, Hey boy. I go, your dad got OCD. Don't say that shit lightly. He goes, what do you yeah. mean? I'm like, well, if you say that, then I'm just going to, I'm going to just push, push on you to make you do it. He goes, oh no, I'm going to do it every day. And to be honest with you, I would say there's less than five days out of the last 230 days where he gave any pushback and he's never thrown a temper tantrum. Usually it's just like, I'll be like, dude, it's eight o'clock at night. We got to go in the garage and you got to do the five minute stand. And, the, and he loves the five minute stand because he knows it's going to turn into 30 minutes. Sash. Yeah. <laughs> and he loves the stopwatch. Yeah. And then it always turns into him, but we're in sunny California. You know, I'm just 20 miles from you. So basically we go to the skate park five days a week. We have a ramp at our house now. Um, so it's, it's quite the experiment. Yeah, it's, dude. Yeah. That's I, amazing. I call, the, I call it the skateboarding experiment. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Dude. I love that. As a skateboarder, I have a lot of like, uh, rapport for that you know like damn i would probably be a professional skateboarder if my dad was like that yeah he was he was taking the skateboard away from me when i was younger like don't get hurt you're gonna hurt yourself for baseball you know and so i skateboarded only when it wasn't baseball season and i didn't get very good (laughs) were you good at baseball i got very good at baseball (laughs) yeah awesome and then I got into heroin. So, uh, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you weren't good at heroin any of those baseball. things. Yeah, dude. Terrible combination. <laughs> How many years did you play baseball? Um, From seven years old to 18 every single day. I lived in Arizona, so you could play all year round, just like California. And so how, many years did you do, how many years did you do heroin? Seven. So 11 so from, years of baseball. Was there any overlap? There was, yeah, junior, uh, no, not junior, like senior year of baseball. There was a lot of heroin, so I was probably 17 years old, 16 maybe, 16, 17, wow. 18, 19, 20, 21. I got sober at 22. Now I'm almost 29, almost seven years sober from heroin. So I've been sober as long as I use drugs, which is like a big milestone in recovery it's like ah, I'm, a, I'm not that guy anymore officially you know <laughs> yeah 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 that's really cool um were you better at heroin or baseball uh, it depends on who you ask <laughs> <laughs> fair enough <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair enough. a lot of time into being a heroin addict that's a 24 hour a day kind of kind of thing <laughs> I did, how yeah. is well, it, it did you do you get into heroin because it's around like I got into drinking cause it was around. Um, and I remember in high school I wanted to do steroids, but I never did cause it was never around. But I remember right. thinking, you oh, know, that, that looks really fun. Um, yeah. I mean, that's exactly like that. how I got into it. Um, my stepbrother, we were the same age and he, we lived like my room was right next to his room and he went to a different high school, kind of more of like a hood high school where I was in a different high school for sports. And he just got into it and I, you know, just was, it was just around. I actually, when I first used it, thought I was smoking hash. So I kind of was just, all right, cool. Yeah, let's smoke some weed. Let's smoke some hash. And I was like, this hash is really good. And then I started doing it every once in a while. And every once in a while turns into every day. And 
next thing I know, I wasn't playing baseball. I was barely graduating high school and was just doing heroin. So yeah, it was just around, you know, just somehow landed on my lap and I was, I was ready for it, I guess. Kind of a shitty experience, but I would never, I wouldn't change it for the world. It's crazy. It just landed on, it's just amazing how the world works. It's like, did you have both your parents at home, your mom and your dad? I did. So my parents were divorced, so I had mom and stepdad and dad and stepmom. Okay. And so I lived with them equally, three one week, four the other, and they just alternated, splitting seven and half, three, four, four, three. Um, so, yeah, it was like two different worlds. So I was only at my dad's house with my stepbrother who did the heroin half of the week. So I could get away and then I'd come back. I'd get away and I'd come back. Did you go to jail ever? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. That's the happiest yes I've ever heard around that question. Usually it's like, yeah. Yeah. But yes, I actually, I did visit the I facility. did attend. <laughs> yeah, got a scholarship, dude. Yeah. Patriot. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Went, went a couple times just to get the full experience. There's this stat that I saw that trumps every single stat. By that, I mean, you'll see the stat that says um, black people, X, Y, Z happens to them. Asian people, CFY happens to them. Just all these different stats that fall, that they break down by demographic, by race, by age, by what city you live in. And then there's this one stat that trumps them all, that makes all of them irrelevant. And you realize they're just manipulative stats. It's kids who grew up in families with both a mom and a dad. It's mind-boggling. Now, don't get me I'm not like, I'm not for it in any other way. Like, my parents were divorced. I don't give a shit. Like, it was great. My dad was great. My mom was great. I loved going back and forth between the two. I loved having different bedrooms. I loved, like, I just, it was great. My two Christmases. <laughs> yeah, to all that shit. My parents got along still. Like, yeah, all that stuff. My mom got a break from me. My dad would get a break from me. But the stats around married couples and how much money their kids make, how much, how often divorced couples, their kids go to jail, it tra like it transcends all of the other stats. As soon as you just start looking at that, like 85% of the people in jail come from broken homes. I, I wonder in your circumstance, you know, and, and, and I'm just speculating this with no judgment at all. I wonder if having step parents is even worse than having separated parents because then your, 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 your parent then has to give more attention to their new mate instead of focusing on the kids. I mean, I, just strictly from a mathematical sense, no, I'm no moral judgment at all, but just something to consider if people are considering having kids, like don't divorce under any circumstance. I mean, and he's a little strong, but it's interesting. Like, I wonder if your parents would have stayed together then instead of you being in your, like, well, you wouldn't have, was that your stepbrother? Yeah. Yeah. See, well, there you go. You fall under that stat. Yeah. <laughs> still your fault though. Still your fault. I ain't yeah, absolving Yeah. You. Still my but, fault for yeah, sure. Yeah. But, but it's so interesting. It's such an interesting stat. I encourage everyone to look at those stats. There's a, uh, an author, economist named Thomas Sowell. He's 90 years old. He's um, at the Hoover Institute. T. Thomas and then Sowell, S-O-W-E-L-L. -L. He has tons of YouTube videos. He's really brilliant and everything is really logical. There's no emotion because he's an economist, but he mm -hmm. talks a lot about social issues. And uh, yeah, the, that's fascinating that you would be in your bedroom chilling 
on the right path, but then the kid in the room next to you comes home with some heroin and next thing you know. Yeah. I mean, it's textbook shit, right? You did Dude, it super once. super textbook. Yeah, and, and the twice. reason it happened was because I just got broken up with on my first girlfriend. So I was like sad. It was like out of a movie. It was like a meet cute, but with like, like heroin and trauma, you know, like there was no good relationship for him. Like we didn't fall. We did fall in love, me and the heroin. But yeah, it was just like a, a sad meet cute, like a, a upsetting Woody Allen film. Yeah, it's cliche as shit. Your girlfriend and you break up. You're super emotional because you're 16. I remember those days just bawling when a Life's girl broke over, up with dude. me. Yeah, yeah. And then, oh, in comes heroin. Okay, send in the heroin. He's ready. <laughs> He's ready to receive. Guy, guys, this hash, so it's not that bad. It's yeah. just like weed. No big yeah. deal. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, you, I, have no, I, you look amazing. You look like a strong, handsome baseball player now. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. I, <laughs> I don't play baseball anymore, but I'll take the handsome and the strong. The strong, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I agree. I, I bet that statistic is large. We should start asking all of our sober guests because, yeah, I grew up without a dad, so broken home straight out of the gate. So it was a very easy transition for me at a very young age as well. So um, I, I bet that stat is right on the money. for sure. How old were your parents when you got... How old were you when you got uh, your parents got divorced? I never had a dad. So my mom was 19. Oh. And so she single raised me working two jobs. I was also a latchkey kid. And so like at 11, I was exposed to, uh, you know, my low income neighborhood. I was exposed to a lot and drinking and smoking, smoking weed. So I started pretty young because there was no father figure or any other parent there. Yeah. So your dad wasn't in the picture at all. No. No, so I had abandonment issues uh, straight out of the gate. <laughs> wow. <laughs> didn't, didn't realize that till much later, but yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, I can't even, yeah, that's a whole nother level. I can't even imagine that. Yeah. It's, but, um, you know, my, we get independent, you know, like you said, latchkey kids and without the father, without like all that, it made me very independent, very young. And I think that's helped me, carried me into my much later life of uh, being a strong, independent person. What's going on with the business? Are you guys like I keep hearing? Like you said, you've seen ten ten times as many overdoses. Are is everything full there? Is it hard to get into Elevate? It is not full, um, but we are way fuller than we were. Uh, there's still all the barriers for people to come into treatment. You know, whether it's mental, financial, insurance, willing. You know, there hasn't been a ton of. Um, consequences you know with the way the world's been so we have all the same struggles of getting people in for sure I, I was i was tripping on this when i was there visiting like you know i'm there i'm around all these people whether they're the employees and sorry if i'm being too too blanketing but whether it's the employees or the people who are residents there everyone there has been through rehab and i'm thinking to myself how do you know and i think we talked about this briefly when i was there how do you know when you need to go to rehab. Cause I was like thinking to myself, okay, do I need to go to rehab? Like, how does anyone know? Like, <laughs> how do you know? Like, like, like I don't wait, even know shit, when I'm supposed to, do I need to be here? <laughs> I don't even know what I, like, I hope I never know when I'm supposed to brush my teeth. I hope like right. I've already brushed them like before it gets to that point, you know? It's I usually mean? someone like, else like, telling you, Hey, okay, guess okay. what? You need to do this. Um, and that's what we see. There's some consequence that's occurring, whether they are facing jail or they're getting kicked out of their house. They lost their job. They, 
overdose, there's some catalyst that usually always has to occur for them to go, oh, shoot, maybe I need help. And a lot of times they come because their family's pushing it on them because they don't want to support them anymore. And so it takes a while after they're here before they're here for their own for their own reasons till they discover, oh, yeah, maybe I do need to be here. This is a little unfair, a loaded question, but is everyone happy by the end? No. Towards the end, you actually see a lot more like senioritis, anxiety, you know, kind of like mixed with like hope and excitement, but it's a mixed bag every time, I would say. I mean, there's a lot of people that are just like, like pink cloud, mile high, just finished a CrossFit workout. But generally, to be realistic, like it's a better indicator to see someone that's like timid, you know, or, or being real, kind of like they're really weighing it out, like, I have to go back to real life and I have to get a job. There's there's oh. a huge list of things to do where like we were just it's kind of like we were training them for the wad. They were doing the warm up. But now they're actually about to do Fran and it's gonna suck. It's gonna Much be really better hard for. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like being and born it's again. They're coming the out bubble. of the wound. Yeah. 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 So you see a lot of nervousness. Um but it's healthy because it's real. It's good. It's, it is going to be difficult to – it's hard to change a lot of things about your life because once you introspect onto what you need to change, the awareness shows you there's actually a shitload you need to change and you just got started. Yeah. And that could be concerning or worrisome or nerve-wracking. But it is healthy because it's like a, you have a good pulse on it. Yeah. And you've been in this bubble and you've uh, your family and a lot of people have shielded you from a lot of the bad things so that you can focus on just getting yourself better. But now all those things that have been shielded from you, you've got to go confront and you've got to do it sober. And you've <laughs> never most people have never done that before. So it's like going out, even though you've got all the tools, applying it to all this stuff that sort of was just waiting for you right there to have to confront. Wow, it really is like you're just doing the warm up. And then yeah. they go do the yeah. water outside. Yeah. Holy shit. You just shit. did some bootstrappers. That's it. <laughs> Maybe some what, assault what, bike. What, <laughs> so a how, more prepared how, than that. <laughs> so run me through, like, what's it look like if someone, if someone, if, if I, if I, let's say I'm just drinking seven days a week and I've been like abusive to my wife and my kids and my wife's like, hey man, you got to go to rehab. So I go to rehab and how long is that? So we have a, a, our 30-day plus detox program in Tahoe, and then we have our full program in Santa Cruz, and that's averaging around 67 days. So I go, let's, so if I go, so people will be like alcoholics will be, I'm a little timid around this conversation because I'm not sure if I'm using the right word. So feel free to no, yeah. insert anywhere. Speak your okay. mind, totally my fine. friend. Speak it. So you're an alcoholic. You go to the, what's a typical program for alcoholic, 30-day or 67-day? Whatever usually they can afford to be gone or can afford to buy. Um, we recommend everybody do the full program. That's the one I feel the best about because I know you have the longest time and the most tools. More is generally better. More help is generally better than less help. Right. Is it, um, What's that called when you, oh, relapse. Is, is the relapse rate higher in the 30-day program than in the 60-7-day program? Yes. We for sure have a higher success rate with the full program. Okay, so it's which which seems so obvious, but I thought I'd just ask anyway. Who knows? But yeah. it's interesting because the people that are worse off are the ones that do the more full program. You know, the the heroin addict. It's an obvious like yes, you need to do the full program. 
the functioning alcoholic, it's harder to say, hey, you should do the longer program because they've, they're functioning, so they don't feel like they need as much time. Um, you guys must see some, like, horrible stories, huh? Like, I was drunk driving, I hit someone and killed someone, and now I'm in rehab? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, dude, yeah. That's, I mean, it's, now, you have, now you have a real, real, oh, shit. Now you got, like, a real cross of issues, right? Like, you're, they're there for the rehab, but there's this fucking brutal Social issues going of, on, too, yeah. Yeah, a brutal sense of, I always, I always, um, people don't like to talk about it, but I always trip on the fact that whenever like cops kill someone, they always talk about the victim. Mm-hmm. And I always think about, I always think about the cop too. Like, Holy shit. Yeah. He has they, to go, they had their experience too. He has to go home tonight and he didn't might, no one wants to kill anybody. Like, Oh man. Yeah. And so you're a drunk driver and you already got your, you're already your own worst enemy. And then you get sober and you have this fucking narrative waiting from you that you're never going to get to escape your whole life. Right. And you've got to learn how to deal with it sober, which you've never, you know, you, most people drink and use because they don't like emotions or they don't want to experience emotions. So now you've got the most dramatic and extreme emotion and you're going to go through it in a sober manner, which is not. Is that what drinking is? Avoiding emotion? Can be. I think I think it's what your wife said. It's a, avoiding discomfort. Yeah. In all in all avenues, you know, how can I have more pleasure and less pain? And it just the presents only, in so many different ways. The only time I ever want to drink is, is if we have guests at the house that I'm not really comfortable with. Right wow. when they walk in the door, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll have a glass of wine. I always let that <laughs> thought go and everything gets better like five or 10 minutes later. But it's always like a, you're right. And it's to avoid... The the discomfort, discomfort of like of socializing right off the bat. How great is it though that you let the thought slip and it allows you to find solutions to like build rapport with someone so that just goes away. <laughs> yeah, you have to, or else you'll be drinking. You'll be drinking, dude. A lot All of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of reasons. <laughs> and I um so what's the difference? I so I have one of my dearest friends is like the gnarliest alcoholic. And like, he, he, he basically every day, like clockwork, he, well, he smokes weed from the second he wakes up in the morning to the second he goes to bed at night and he drinks alcohol from 5 PM till he goes to sleep every single night till he passes out. Mm-hmm. And one month a year he quits. Wow. But I've, but when he, yeah, it's a trip, right? One month a year, usually like, I think it's like January. Dry January. Yeah. Dry January. Not from the weed, but from the alcohol. Got it. And it's what an amazing transformation he goes through. His skin gets all better. He loses all this weight. It's kind of amazing. Um, But he never gets, he's not violent at all. He's actually so much more, I don't want to say enjoyable when he's drunk. That's not fair. But he's funny and he's not uptight. He's, it's just so much. Different version. Yeah, different version of himself. What is the difference between is there is are there some archetypes the difference between a violent drunk and a drunk who never gets violent? Like a, like can you just know like hey, if we mix alcohol with this person, they're going to be like a violent drunk, you mix alcohol with this person and they're going to be just like turn into a teddy bear? Like are there yeah, archetypes I mean, I think for it, that? It's 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 hard to weigh in on that because we see them when they're sober. 
Right, so we kind of hear about it secondhand, like, oh, I was like this. But as someone that has been a counselor and like does one-on-one with clients for a long time, I definitely have my own judgments of like, oh, this guy was a, a violent one or this guy was a, a funny one. And usually the way that I can tell is because it's the exact opposite of how they are when they're sober. Ah, uh. It's almost like, they are t- they the the alcohol allows them to become this like other thing you know and they're not that when they're sober like the quiet shy like uh. timid like walks on his tippy toes like cowed person is the like energetic loud life of the party sometimes violent guy you know right right this guy is the star of the show when he's sober, and when he's drunk, he is just kind of fades off into the corner and chills. So yeah. why would he not want to be the star of the show all year long? Uh, probably for him, it's just a ton of pressure, right? Just a ton, just like a ton of freaking pressure. And, of course, he has a crazy history. I mean, a great, like, a childhood that's horrendous yeah Yeah. probably a lot of processing and and therapy or just soul searching that would need to occur for him to be comfortable with that person all the time and then and then kids who drink you you know for for me drinking in college was always um sort of a chance to talk to girls yeah maybe like run naked across the street lower freedom yep (laughs) yeah it was just basically like you know, like I would never have gone skinny dipping with those 20 friends, but we drank six cases of Natty Ice, and so we went skinny dipping together. And- yeah. <laughs> it takes off the governor a little bit sometimes. Yeah. And, and and no one wants to be around a violent drunk. I mean, I detested that, you know, um, any, any, any violent. Um, I like having fun. Yeah, usually the violent drunks don't have a lot of friends because nobody wants to be around that. Nobody wants their buzz to be killed by somebody getting violent. So they end up usually, I think, being alone, <laughs> those yeah. types of individuals. Sad. The violent drunk and then generally this... is the sad drunk. Right. They're sad, man. You yeah, because they've scared everybody away. And then there's this rare kind of drunk, but they all exist, and we've seen them. And somewhere around like beer five and six, they're, they just totally become a different person. It's like almost like they get possessed. Do you know, like, I want to, I don't want, I want, I can only remember it happening in women. I don't ever necessarily remember it seeing happen in men, but that one always kind of blew me away too. Like literally like, and it's uncomfortable. Because all of a sudden, it's very uncomfortable for everyone around. It's very, very, very uncomfortable. It's almost like they fracture into another personality. I can't explain it. I haven't had a lot of interactions with them. Usually, it's just the two camps, right? person rips their clothes off and gets naked and the one that's trying to beat you up. But there is this <laughs> yeah, yeah. also this one um, that, that I always tripped on and that I, I definitely was terrified from and avoided like the plague. And it's like, like they literally, I don't, they become possessed. It's almost like they don't, they're completely coherent. They're not slurring or anything, but they're like, it's not your friend anymore. You're like, Oh yeah. shit. Something that has happens happened. too. Yeah. I think they call that tequila. Yeah. I was going to say there's a level of toxicity in the <laughs> yeah. body that, that just accumulates where it's uh, that switch just gets flipped quickly. 
Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, life, a lot of things happen when they've been drinking and those start to store up. The older you get, the more responsibilities and the more you're screwing things up. So it's not always just a fun ride anymore. You instantly go to that bad place from all that accumulation of all those years of not doing the best things. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So I started drinking to party and take my clothes off and swim naked. And then by the time I'm 45, I'm drinking wine to make a salad at night. (laughs) And forget about all that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, wow, that, that, that drug's not even getting used right. It was so much better to use it to run naked across the street and swim in the ocean at midnight naked on a full moon. Now I'm using it to make a salad for my kids. Fuck that. What a waste. Right. So it's like finding that line. And uh, obviously people don't know where that line is. It's not like, here's the line. Don't pass this or you're going to turn the other way. So people just like glide through their 20s and then they end up on the other side. And it's uh, they they didn't even realize it was happening. (laughs) I had this I had this friend who who had a wife who was a nanny. My friend's my friend's wife was a nanny and she was a nanny for this woman who made a drink every single day at 12 o'clock. And after or three o'clock, somewhere, somewhere in the afternoon. And after being her nanny for like three years, she started making, and the nanny turned 21 or 22. The lady started making the nanny a drink at the same time, always of that day. And now like 20 years later, my friend's wife still has a drink at three o'clock. And it reminds me of your, your um, heroin story. Did you, did your brother ever say sorry to you? Um, I don't know because I never blamed it on him outwardly. Right. Right. Like I I owned the situation, but he he never he never did. He doesn't owe it to you. I'm I'm not suggesting that right, by the right. way. Right. Yeah, no, he never did. I don't I don't I don't know if he looks at it the way that I proposed it maybe. I don't know. But yeah, he never did. Um and I don't even I don't think I would want one from him either, you know. He still He's still struggling with the same stuff, you know. He never got out. I he's in prison right now, you know. Um But yeah, never he never has. Cuz I think I I feeling bad's not the right word, but as there should be a code of ethic for people who use addictive substances that you shouldn't share them with other people. Like yeah. if you're smoking a cigarette, really what's the only thing worse than what you're doing to yourself is, is that you're telling society that it's okay because okay, we're all just, yeah. Cause we're all just mirrors here. I know that's a tough one for people to grasp, but there really isn't you. There's, we're just mirrors walking around. And so when you have a shitty lifestyle, you're sort of, you're not sort of, you're demanding other people to pick up your shitty lifestyle. And Maybe a lot of people won't even re- realize that until the second they die. But man, um, I, I, I it, it's tough, right? Like, oh yeah, you, you want you, like someone wants to have a cigarette, but like you, you have to really think. So I, I guess it goes back to what we were saying, Angie, about um, man, maybe that's why it's so hard for them to realize that they're the drunk driver who hit and killed someone. So now you have to come to terms with two things. But the good thing about changing your lifestyle, if you're smoking 
or if you haven't killed someone is that you can be an amazing role model still. I guess even if you hit someone and kill someone, you still have a chance to turn all that shit around and now be a role model for everyone who's made a bad decision, right? I guess that's what you two are doing. Shit. And that's 100% what Elevate does. <laughs> that's what all our clients yep. who want to stay on staff. Sorry, that's it took me so long to do. see that. <laughs> you guys are angels. Yeah, what an amazing thing. So... Yeah, I love watching yourself. that in real time. Yeah. <laughs> Just watching that like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, and, and everyone who works at your facility has been through that, right? There are 90, 90, 90 plus percent, maybe minus some of the nurses and the okay. doctor, but uh, everybody else has been through uh, recovery. And so that's why we've all stuck around because we're like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I can help other people that were like me and who better to help people uh, in that position than people who've been there. You know, we're far more effective because we know, we just know, uh, you know, the pitfalls, the wins, how hard we could push, when we should pull back, not to let them be a victim, hold them accountable, but not push so hard you break them. Like, you know, as former addicts ourselves, we know we know how, what, how to do it, basically. Do you guys put yourself in danger by mingling with other mirrors that, have that are so close to their last intoxication i don't i don't feel that way we're, but we're so far down the road you know i'm 20 almost 27 years he's seven, seven years yeah. we're so far away from it that that would not be a thing we do see the newer staff trainees can struggle with that a bit because they're still processing their own thing and now they're trying to be there for other people so i think early on it can be it can be a hard hard transition for them. Like if I, if I went to Hawaii, if I, if like the three of us or if, if a bunch of us went to Hawaii and everyone started drinking and we were there for two weeks, I would definitely start drinking a little bit. I, if everyone started smoking cigarettes, I wouldn't smart smoking cigarettes. The reason why is because I, I have this crazy fear that I've damaged myself. and I'm going to shorten my life with my kids. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I want to live, I have such a, damn against it. I can't even imagine if I was trapped on an island with a hundred people and they all smoked, I don't think I would smoke. But I do see that like if I was somewhere and everyone was smoking and I, or drinking and I was there for two weeks, like it would be hard. It I know would, Dal's gone on family vacations where, and, and it wasn't a struggle because you wanted to drink, but it was just a struggle being surrounded by it and yeah. being the only person not drinking. Yeah, definitely been there. Um, that's where it's like, dude, there's things that I do for myself that keep me in a, a state that I need to be in. And I just do those things and I can walk through the world and just be perfectly cool as a cucumber. When I go on vacation, I'm kind of stripped of those things that I do day to day. So wherever I go, I just find those things. You know, I'm used to talking about recovery and meditation and mindfulness. Like this is the stuff that I'm in all the time. So when I'm not in it, it's different. I'm definitely more vulnerable or I'm definitely less prepared. Um, but I, I go find meetings at wherever I go and talk CrossFit recovery gyms. and cro drop in at CrossFit gyms. And dude, I'm right back. You ever feel comfortable around like people who are drinking? Like, yeah, yeah. It yeah. doesn't bother me. And, then, yeah. and there's times that it does. It's not a hundred percent. Um, a perfect example. My stepdad is like the person you were talking about that drinks and becomes better. Like when that dude drinks, he's the, he's the man, he's funny, his guards down. He's just 
a super funny, fun person to be around when he has a couple drinks. There's some other people in my family that get sad and pull up the past. And and for me, sober, I'd rather be around the fun stuff than the sad stuff. So that's what I observe as being more difficult for me to be around. Um, Because also the sad person, there's no talking to them. I can't say, hey, get out of your head and get into your body. Let's talk about this. They're just... They're just vomiting, you know. There's no, there's nothing to handle or solve or fix. When someone's drunk and just cracking jokes, you can just participate when you want and when you don't want, and it's just right. all good. Right. But it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me, and um, I think it has to do with how I'm showing up. However I show up, if I know I'm showing up in a, a good state of mind, I'm, dude, I'm bulletproof. So I think yeah. when it does bother me, it's more about me than them. Well, hey, yeah, I just yeah, wanted yeah. you to let everyone know where they can find you and your podcast and your platforms okay. just before we wrap up here. So Sevon Matosian, at Sevon Matosian, um, just like it's spelled, just like it sounds. And, <laughs> and, and at, Might not be so easy for some people. At Three Plane Brothers, it's the number three, then the word plane and brothers, all one. And you can find me, and then I'll be coming to Sugar Wad. Um, but the Instagram accounts are fun. Um, I'm pretty opinionated, um, but I'm very <laughs> open-minded, and uh, I encourage anyone to jump in. I just don't tolerate um, name calling and sugar. And sugar. Nah, I tolerate sugar. Yeah, <laughs> I, have friends, I tolerate sugar. People like that's the thing. I don't care if people eat sugar. I don't care like. It, it, you, I really don't care about anything you do as long as you're not harming kids. I don't care if you're a drug addict, a sugar addict. I don't care if you're a racist. As long as you're not hurting kids, you're fine. But, um, <laughs> but I, but I, but you know, I, I, you're not going to feed sugar to my kids. You're not going to feed racism to my kids. You're not going to feed sexism to my kids. But like, I'm not here to judge any of those people for doing those things. Like I said, my only big no is harm to kids. And other than that, you do everyone. You do you. Um, you're responsible for you at the end of the day. So, Well said. Well, thank you so yeah. much for being on the show, man. This has been amazing. And I'll put all that in the show notes, dude, so people can find you and find the skateboarding experiment, all that stuff, dude. Awesome. Savon, you're thank the man, dude. Thank you for your time. Thank you. All right, guys, that's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.